Can we just give it up for that amazing video? It didn't just get stuck on one frame that whole time. It was just, it was really good, wasn't it? Like life changing. Should I just pray and we go home now? Uh, I said as we're coming up, I said, hey, Steve, do you want to cook? Uh, because Steve Sachs, who's watching online right now, uh, backed out of cooking for the next men's breakfast. Uh, so the good food that Dakota was bragging about, we're putting it in Steve's, this other Steve's hands. Uh, Steve was in charge of bacon last, last time, and he said, right when I'm walking up, he's going to make eight pounds of bacon this time, because we, we had like the perfect amount of bacon last time, which is okay, but you never want to have the perfect amount. You always want to have a surplus of bacon. It's never good to have no bacon left over. There always has to be some bacon, because then you know everybody got their full plus some. So, all right, men's breakfast, it'll be a lot of fun. Hey, uh, like I talked about at the beginning of service, we're going through this series called Frameworks. Uh, we talk about the resurrection. Last week we celebrated it. It's wonderful to celebrate resurrection, isn't it? Uh, we do that not just on Easter Sunday, though. We do that really every single week because we're reminded every single week that Friday brings with it sin and death and evil and judgment and all of the bad stuff. But Friday was not the end of the story. Sunday, resurrection, new life is the end of the story. And so as we talk about what it's like to have faith in Christ, it's not a faith of just suffering and bad and death and oh no, that's it. Rather, it's a faith that gives us hope for the rest of life, that amidst the pain, amidst the struggles, amidst the uncertainties of the things that are going on, we know that we can trust that God is still active, that God is still at work, and he can bring something good even out of whatever it is that we're facing. And so the resurrection has become the cornerstone of our faith, the thing that holds it all together. If it wasn't there, it would not survive. The question then is, if that's what's holding it all together, what's all the other stuff? Like, what's the other, what are the frameworks of how we understand what we believe? And, and why is what we believe important? What's negotiable? What's not? And all that stuff. And here's the deal. We're not going to be able to cover every single thing in the series. Uh, it'd be nice. Maybe sometime we do spend some time just walking through all of these kind of negotiables and non-negotiables. Really, what we're trying to do is discern what is good and what is not good. What is helpful? What is unhelpful? And hold on to the things that are of God, the things that are of Christ, and to let go of everything else. And so as we do this, here's what we know, is that uh, when we go back to Jeremiah, which this guy that we talked about for like 10 weeks to kind of kick off this year, uh, we see God give him a calling that really lays on us heavy. This calling to not just be a guy who goes out there and as a prophet, like yells at people and tells people, hey, turn or burn or anything like that. No, 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 no. Uh, that's not what it's about. Rather, here's what he says. He says, uh, God, God gives Jeremiah his calling. He says, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. What we see is Jeremiah's job is to go to a bunch of religious people, to go to this nation and to like destroy and overthrow all of the things that they like, the religious practices that they enjoy doing, to, to tear down all of this stuff, which is a pretty heavy calling. In fact, as we walked through that whole story earlier this year, we saw that that had a lot of personal pain involved for him. It wasn't an easy calling to follow through with. However, 
tearing down was not the only story. Building up and planting was a part of that. It's not just a job of saying, hey, let's destroy all the stuff that we have done as people of faith, but rather, let's find the things that are unhelpful and let's see them out. And let's bring the things that are good that God is doing and let's bring those in. Let's major in the majors, not in the minors. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of the story of what it is to have faith. Right? Like, and we all grow up with some kind of faith. Uh, we're all formed in some way. Now, if you grew up in the church, and we're going to talk about this as we get into this message today, if you grew up in the church and you have some sort of understanding, some sort of framework of faith, and every single one of us comes with a little bit of baggage, even if all you were was like sprinkled as a kid, and you never stepped foot in another church, you still have some sort of a framework for faith. Now, maybe you... Uh, come from a different faith tradition, or you come from maybe no faith tradition, and that's all fine. There's still some way that you approach and view things, and of course, we're going to talk about things here in the church and how this looks, because what we know is that we've been taught this stuff, and, and you get taught things from your youngest years, your early years on, and then you grow up and you realize, hold on, that's not working the same. It doesn't feel like it used to feel. Or I, I, I gave a critical thought to that, and it all started cracking and falling apart. It reminds me of this thing that happened to me when I was growing up. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, early 90s, and during that time, there was this program that the government put on called Just Say No. Anybody remember Just Say No? Yeah, yeah. Great idea. Just say no to drugs. Good idea. Terrible execution. Just say no. Hey, hey, you want to do something really bad? Just say no. Really? You think that's how this works? You just say no to that stuff? And, and statistics have borne it out that the D.A.R.E. program, complete failures, never really helped anybody, statistically speaking. Uh, so by and large, didn't work. But I grew up at this time where it was just say no. Just say no to drugs. And just say no to all the bad things. And here's what happens. You grow up, and you get into a little bit of mischief. And you realize that unlike what Nancy Reagan said, I didn't die. I didn't end up homeless underneath the overpass. Because that's what the teachers told me. That's what everybody told me would happen. You get, into some, you get mixed up into the wrong group. Ooh, boy, you might go. And in church, you, you might go to hell. Ooh, okay. And it, it scares you straight for a little bit. But then again, you just kind of dip your toe in the water and you find out that that's not exactly true. Like, I'm not saying that that's a recommended path in life to go get involved in a bunch of mischief, but perhaps we don't have to use the fear tactics because what it often does is lead you to wonder what else Nancy Reagan is lying to you about. What's going on here? You told me this bad thing, this catastrophic thing would happen if I did this, then I did this, and the bad thing didn't happen. Huh. Okay. And it's well-meaning people, right? It's not anybody that they have, like, bad intents to, like, try to make you into something. But they just want to make sure you stay, like, healthy and you don't make too bad of decisions in life. And this happens not just, of course, in the government. This happens in the church. Uh, we see uh, something happening in the world right now that I think is fascinating. It's terrible, but fascinating to watch. And you guys have heard about this. It's the decline of institutions, 
We, we see people's trust in institutions just plummeting. It doesn't matter if it's government, if it's a business, if it's a media organization, or even, yes, a church. People's trust in these things go down. And it's tempting to think, oh, well, the reason why people don't trust it is because of the last campaign. Oh, the reason people don't trust it is because of that news channel. Oh, the reason people don't trust it is because of this one individual. It's easy to try to scapegoat things in that way, but the reality is this isn't a one person, a one channel, or a one year thing. This isn't even a one decade progression. This is decade after decade after decade that we've seen things begin to go on the decline. Now, I can't speak to all of that. I know church world because that's what I've kind of grown up in. And of course, I'm a pastor, so it's what I'm most familiar with. So we'll talk about it from that angle. That in church world, we've seen a lot of these things play out. The word for the day is going to be incongruency, by the way. Because what we saw with somebody like Nancy Reagan is, uh, and I'm not just picking on Nancy Reagan here, you know, God bless her. But uh, what we found when people speak with extremes about what's going to happen, there's an incongruency with what they said and the reality of what the consequence would be. In the church world, it's very similar. I grew up at a time where purity culture was just the thing. Uh, if you grew up again in the 80s, 90s, you, you got the full brunt for, of force of some of this stuff, right? Like we remember like the purity rings and all the stuff that you were supposed to do and not do. You cannot date was one of the things. You cannot date. And this is right when I was coming into high school. Uh, you know, and if you don't know this, I wasn't exactly a ladies' man in my teenage years. If you ask my wife now, I'm still not much of a ladies' man. Uh, <laughs> strike out a lot. That's okay. Uh, so my, my chance of getting a date in high school were pretty low. But then a dude wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and all of the girls read it, and the youth pastor read it, and the youth pastor, God bless him, great guy, love him, but none of the girls wanted to go on a date, especially after reading that book. They had like religious moral convictions against going on a date, and I was already hopeless. You know what they wanted? They wanted to be courted. Oh, I don't want a date. I just want to court, and I thought, awesome. I love basketball. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Not what I thought it would be. They said that if you do these things, and it wasn't just dating, of course, it was language, it was your music, it was the TV shows, it was all of the things, and you create this nice little bubble that you get to live in, and it's so comfortable because everybody looks like you and talks like you and says the same little things. You have your little insider language. It's nice, and I grew up in that time where it felt good because the smartest people I knew we're all about it. The people whose voices in, in life I trusted were all about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, look at these people. They're good people. I trust what they have to say. But then you grow up. And it's not that you get into mischief per se, but then you look back and you're like, wait a second. What, what was that whole courting thing about? Why? Dating was divorce practice. Well, yeah, because if you date, you're just going to break up with somebody. That's just practicing for divorce. You don't want to be like that, do you? It's like, oh my gosh, no, I guess not. But uh, it's exhausting, right? And, it's, and you hear it, and it's a little ridiculous when you sit back. But I promise you, 30 years ago, 
this was the standard stuff. This is where people in the church would be like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that stuff. We're all guilty of this, and we all do this kind of stuff. But what happens again, you grow up and you start looking in all of the things that you see in the past, they start becoming like these little cracks. And it's not like they destroy your faith, but it doesn't take much for something to slide on in and blow it all up. If you're Catholic, if you grew up Catholic, then you saw this happen in the early 2000s. I'm not picking on Catholics here. We'll talk about us Protestants here in a moment. The, the scandals that came about uh, came into light, I should say, because it's been happening for a long time prior to this. That stuff, if you were already on the fence, if you already thought, man, there's something that's not quite right here. I keep seeing some things. And if you see some of these cracks, if you were a part of that church, then, then you saw this thing happen and then it all completely blew up. And it blew up because there was an incongruency between the gospel that was proclaimed through the life of the institution of the Catholic Church that I love, that I wish we were still a part of. I wish 500 years ago, Reformation didn't have to happen. I wish 500 years before that, that there was no schism. I wish 100 years before that, like, I, I think that we were all, you know, that lowercase c Catholic universal church. So these are our brothers and sisters. I'm not picking on them here. But when you see that stuff happen, you cannot help but think, man, if, if they can do that while preaching that gospel, I'm not sure I believe in that gospel. Like, that's not a stretch, is it? Us on the Protestant side, we're not exactly off the hook. We have our share of issues, not just historically speaking, yeah, there's plenty of that, but even more recently, it seems like every time a Marvel movie comes out, there's another huge pastoral scandal, right? And there's like 500 Marvel movies every month or year, something like that. So like, there's a lot that you see happening out in the world, and this stuff is happening. Now you might say, well, now we know about more things because of the internet, and that might be true. But at the same time, I think something has happened to the church that we have elevated people who have a charisma about them, but not a character about them. We say, oh man, you're, you're great at getting numbers. So you know what? We're just gonna turn a blind eye towards some of the other things that are incongruent with the results that we're getting. And so we elevate this, I don't know, ability to grow something over somebody that has the character to grow it. We say stuff like, oh man, they grew that thing big. And you know what? We're Americans. If it grows big, that's a good thing, right? That's what kind of capitalism says. If it grows large, then it must be good, which is not true if you're sitting in the doctor's office and they walk in with the MRI and they say, hey, look at this tumor, right? You don't say, oh man, that's a tumor. It's growing big. Love that. Just because something grows doesn't mean it's healthy, It's true in church world, it's true in business, it's true in every aspect of life. Character matters everywhere you go, whether it's in government, business, media, the church, anywhere else. We value people sometimes just because they have a large platform. Well, lots of people watch them on TV, therefore they must be true. Oh, they got millions of followers online, therefore they must know something that I don't. Maybe, maybe not. You know, and that seems to be true for all of this. Maybe growing big is a good thing. Maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe any of these things are all just open-ended questions that we have to ask. The follow-up question to, which is how are you relating to Jesus? How are you growing in your faith? But here's my conviction. 
Institutions are struggling. People's faith in institutions are waning. And I get it, and I think that there's a lot of good reasons for it. However, I think that Jeremiah's job is your job and my job as well. It's to tear down, to destroy, to uproot and overthrow. Let's, let's tear it all up. Let's do whatever we got to do. And then let's rebuild. Let's plant, hoping and expecting that life will come out of that. So here's how we plant. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 20. He says, all authority in heaven uh, and on earth has been given to me. That's an important line. All authority has been given to me. Jesus is the one that's in charge. He's the one that has final authority in all things. This means that we look at the world through Jesus-colored lenses. Everything, we read the Bible through Jesus-colored lenses, not through anything else, all right? So verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So when you're doing this, when you're trusting Jesus, when you have the Jesus colored lenses on, go make disciples. Uh, this is why we're here. This is the mission of Chaparral Christian Church uh, to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, the te- and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always. Jesus' emphasis is so simple. He says, help people grow in their faith. Who? all nations, everyone. Our job is to create a church, the kind of place, the kind of congregation where everyone can grow in their faith. It's not your job to determine who's in or out. It's not my job to determine who gets to follow Jesus. It's God's job to do all that stuff. Our job is to be a place that helps everyone find and follow God. So as we do this, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to obey the way of Jesus. Some things are going to need to be thrown out. Praise God. Some things are going to need to be replanted. Praise God. We're going to do all of that stuff. That's what any kind of organization, any place is going to do. That's what we do in our own faith. You guys probably don't have a house that's decorated like it's from the 1960s. Or at least if you do, it's probably more because you like that era, not because you haven't updated it in 60 years, right? If we all do this with things, we give it a refresh. Some of you say, hey, you know what? I want a new car. And you go out and you get a new car. Did you need a new car? No. Why? Well, you just wanted a new car. And the old car's, I don't know, five years old and it's time for a refresh. Okay, so you went out and you got a new car. Great. We do this stuff all of the time with all sorts of things. Yet the odd thing is we don't do this with our faith very often, do we? We often think that what we learned in Sunday school is good enough. We're done. I'm done. Well, okay. That's one approach. But if you're like me, you're going to get to a point in your life where you realize, hmm, there's a crack there. And if you're not careful, that crack will grow. And if you don't take care of that, that'll become a problem. It sounds all simple and straightforward. Go and make disciples. Yay, go and make disciples. But then you look around and you see, okay, which church is the good one that's making disciples? Global estimates, 45,000 different Christian denominations. But this is so simple, Right? 45,000 different Christian denominations, uh, which means 44,999 of them are wrong and we're the right ones. So congrats, you made it to the right place on Sunday morning. Pat yourself on the back, we're the good ones. We're not like them or them or them or them. We're the good ones. We made it, yay. (sighs) Probably not. 
That's probably not really what we should be taking from this. Who are the right ones? Uh, Maybe that's not the right question. And we're going to talk about this here in a moment. Here's what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What's he say there? I, uh, I pray for the Baptists who are the ones that got this right. Pray for the Anglicans who are the ones that got this. I pray for the... No. He does not name a group of people. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that he does not name a group of people. He says, all of those who will believe in me through this message. That means anybody who is faithful to the way of Jesus is the one that this is for. He doesn't draw the lines that we so often draw. He says uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's it. His prayer is really simple. All that we can do is be in Christ. The temptation is to get tribal with this stuff, isn't it? To think that it's about our brand, it's about being an insider, it's about my way of expressing this kind of stuff. And trust me, I know all about what it means to be a religious insider. Half of my family is Amish. And so they they know what it's like to think that they are right and everybody else is wrong. And I can say that about them because they're not watching online. Because they're Amish. <laughs> Some of them are Mennonite and they do watch online. So hi, schmuckers. Love you guys. Uh, you can write them a note and let them know that I make fun of them occasionally. Uh, they won't mind, I'm sure. We're taught to think that the way that we think is the only way to be a Christian. And if you do not believe in the way that I believe, then you are in dangers of the fiery pits of, oh my goodness, should I say that at church? I don't know. Okay. We're taught so many different things. And what we have to do is we have to exercise wisdom here and say, what is good? What is worth holding on to? What do I need to let go of? What are the non-negotiables? What are the important things? And where are the things that we can have a give on? Now, I want to put up a little graphic here that is going to help me illustrate some of this. Uh, This is really simple stuff. I, I made this myself, all right? That is a square can you see the square? Actually, it's a rectangle. Okay, stop it, you engineers. Uh, you guys are the worst. Um, I mean, I love you, Jim. I'm going to come back here. I'm going to take Ken's spot. I'm going to be a little Vanna White for a little bit of this. Um, all right, so here's what we believe. Uh, generally speaking, we have this big box, which is kind of the idea of it is Orthodox Christianity. This is the box. Now, you can do this with anything. It doesn't have to be Orthodox Christianity. You could do this with uh, chemistry, probably, because chemists have different thoughts about things. Or you could do this with any other faith system, uh, Islam or uh, Buddhism or something else. But you have this big box, and inside of this, this, what this big box represents is Orthodox Christian belief, meaning, Uh, We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the divinity of Jesus. That is a non-negotiable force. We believe that it's because of Jesus that we have hope and life in the church. All right? So that is what goes inside the big box. Now, what happens is you have person A up here on the left. And person A thinks, ah, all right. 
Here's what I've been taught. I've been taught this about Jesus. I've been taught that about the Bible. I've been taught this about the church. All of these different things. And, and I've been taught by people who love me, like my mom or my dad. I've been, my uncle, he, he gets this stuff. He's super smart. I had a teacher. I had a professor. I, all of the music that I listened to was about this stuff. It fits perfectly in my little box. Uh, all of the, the TV shows I watch, I don't watch certain movies because of my beliefs about how this box goes. Like all sorts of things fit into person A's lifestyle. And he feels good and confident about his faith. Wonderful. Then comes person B. Person B comes over here. And she believes what she believes. And she's been taught by mom and dad. They, they taught me the faith. And hey, my cousin, we grew up together. And, and we're strong in the faith. And it's because of what I believe about Jesus, the Bible, and the church that, that defines my faith. And I have my own music. And I have my own TV shows. And I have my own stuff. And if there's one thing that I know, it's that I look over at person A and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if they're a Christian or not. If they are a Christian, then... Mm, I don't know, they're one of the bad ones. They're just not like me because I am one of the good ones. And of course, person A looks over at person B and says, man, must be hot over there. So, awful close to the fire pits of hell, all right? So be careful where you're at because you are not like me in my box over here. And some of this stuff is negotiable, some, but most of it, no, 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 no. We're over here in our box. And then comes person C. Person C comes over here and is like, you know what? We're all the way over on this side. But then person D pops up over there. And person D, the, all these three are like, oh my gosh, person D's all the way over there. They're probably not even in the faith. And then you have all of these other people that pop up. And you're like, oh my goodness, who is the one that has the truth? Because we have 45,000 different denominations. Surely one of them got it right. <sighs> Okay, now what happens is we tend, and this is, this is true, this is insider talk. If you don't know church world, then this is probably, a, you know, not too confusing. Uh, a little bit of catching up on what it's been like for about 2,000 years here. There's always different segments, and the way, the temptation is always to think that your little box is the box. It's the one that got it figured out. And because you think you're the one that got it figured out, your group is the one that has it right, you look at everybody else and you think, oh, shoot, there's no way that they got it right. Because, or, at the very least, this is the less judgmental but still pretty judgy, uh, they're not as right as I am. You know, the, they don't listen to the same music I listen to. They don't do the same things I listen to, uh, I do. But what if, what if, following after Jesus is bigger than any single box. What if it's not about you getting every single thing perfectly right because you will not. I know that you think you will, but trust me, trust me, there's a lot of smart, smart people out there and they still disagree about all sorts of stuff. And that's okay. Because if, if God wanted it to be a little bit different, I think God would make it a little bit different. If God wanted the Bible to be a lot easier to read and understand and more straightforward, I think God would have written it in a way that would have been a lot easier to understand and more straightforward. But he didn't. Because I think that there's something actually good about what we see on the screen. It's not that we're all in our own box, because here's the reality. I came from one of these boxes. 
If you have any experience in the church, you came from one of these boxes. We all have something that we bring to the table. It might be something that is uh, tragic and that you uh, carry this weight with you because of your upbringing. It might be something that, man, it has given you life and it is so good. And it might be something that's somewhere in the middle where you've had good and you've had bad and that's okay too. But I I know that every single one of us comes from one of these boxes. The temptation, though, is to think that we're the ones that have the box. However, it's not quite the case. One of the things I love about Chaparral Christian Church, we come come from a movement called the Restoration Movement. That's kind of the, we're not a denomination. There's no kind of hierarchy above us. Uh, Stone Campbell Movement is another thing that we talk about with it, come from a movement that is fundamentally a movement based on unity. Here's what the convictions are of our church. Watch what happens on the screen to these boxes. We don't believe that it's just about having a nice, firm line. Rather, what we think is, yes, we all come from something. Some of us are Presbyterian. Some of us are Episcopalian. Some of us are Lutheran. Some of us are nothing, and that's all fine. But rather than coming to this with these strict ideas that everybody must conform to every single thing, we came about this, and our movement is a couple hundred years old, believes that we are Christians and Christians only. All this other stuff. Now, there's lots of other stuff, right? There's lots of other things that we can make into dividing issues. There's lots of reasons to be separate. Oh my goodness, look around at society. One of the reasons why institutions have lost so much momentum in this world and so much trust in this world is simply because, well, we've divided ourselves. And we all have created such myopic boxes for everything. For everything. Not just church, but for everything. And we think that if you don't fit in my box, you can't be my friend. Oh, seriously. We make such dumb things conditions for friendship. And let me tell you this, as a follower of Jesus, that just isn't right. That's not how we are going to operate, and that's not what Jesus wants from us. We saw his prayer that we are all one. We are all one. So there's a saying in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's not in the Bible. Don't go looking for it but it's a good way of understanding this. In the important things, in the really important things, so look at the the outside perimeter of that. You have Orthodox Christianity, you have the beliefs about Jesus, you have divinity of Jesus, you have the Trinity, you have uh, hope for today, hope for tomorrow. That's kind of like the gist of it, right? Within that, there's a lot of freedom. We believe in liberty. Like, hey, you're gonna have debates about predestination or something else, and, and that's great. Debate it, that's fine. Uh, but in all things, love. So we hold fast to the things that are important. We hold open-handed, like, hey, you can take this out of my hand if you want. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit. You can, I'll take a little bit. We can figure out what this looks like on how to be in community together because I don't need you to think like me in order to be my friend. I don't need you to think like me in order to be in my church. Ooh. That's what Jesus prays for, and that's the kind of church we want to be. And tell me, in 2022, isn't that what the world needs to see? People on the left and the right sitting down and having a meal together and not losing their minds? Thank you. Yeah, you laugh because it's a little wild, right? To even think about some of this stuff. To, to have the, the, the poor sit with the wealthy, as, as Scripture talks about, the lion and the lamb next to each other. 
Like, this is important stuff. This is a major theme all throughout the Bible. It's not just peacekeeping, which is keeping the peace, right? It's peacemaking. It's going out and being intentional workers for the gospel of Christ to bring peace to chaotic places. And if we can't do that in church, and I'm not just talking about chaparral. I'm talking about the Catholics as well. I'm talking about the Baptists as well. I'm talking about all the church here. If the church can't figure this out, then where is it going to happen? We have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. That's where this comes from. If that is not good enough, well, then there is no hope. I don't believe that Friday has the last word, though. I believe that Sunday does, that this is what it's about. So we do all this uh, prayer uh, through prayerful practices uh, where we seek out God's truth in any and every And does this mean that we don't have doctors? Of course, that's not what it means. It means that we are charitable in the way that we love one another. All right? And when somebody disagrees with us because they will disagree with you, we don't lose our minds. Rather, we look and seek understanding. We pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to guide us and help us discern what the good and true thing is in that moment. So as we go through this series, we're not gonna be able to hit on everything. I'd like to, it'd be fun. Again, we'll do something like that soon. However, I want us to frame our understanding that you are sitting next to somebody that does not think like you think. Some of us are married to people who do not think the way that we think. And that's okay. That, in fact, that might be one of the things that helps you love the other person and love them well, right? You respect them in that way. So here's a couple of things that we do uh, with this. First thing, assume the best of anyone you think are your enemies. Assume the best. You, you, now, here's what Jesus would say, too. And let's just take it to, to that point, because this is going to sound ridiculous. Jesus says, hey, live your life in such a way that you don't even think you have enemies. Not that you're so ignorant or like your head's in the ground that you're not paying attention to the world, but a way that you don't personally hold it against them. That's big. That's big. Let's back it up, because, you know, that's also really, really hard. So let's just start by thinking, who are the people that might oppose you? Who are the people that might be against you? And ask simple questions. Why? Do they think, why do they think the way they do? Do they think it for good reasons? Might they feel the way that they feel about a particular thing? And we could talk about it in the church. I think politically it's really easy to think this way. Maybe they believe the things that they do about the way the world works for good reason, just like you do. And maybe they're not wrong, per se. Maybe they're just different. And perhaps you and the person next to you can coexist. In fact, what if that tension that you're living in actually reveals the power of Christ at work? Two people who disagree about something but still come together. Hmm. Assume the best. You cannot do that without assuming the best because what's so easy to do is say, you just think that because... You just think that because I'm a millennial. Uh, I'm used to hearing people talk about us in not wonderful ways. Uh, and, and so when I say stuff, sometimes I've heard people straight up say to me, well, you just think that because you are a millennial. You're lazy. And I reply with, yes, I am lazy, but that's not why I think this. Uh, who isn't a, come on, who doesn't like to sleep in and take a nap? Uh, 
You might be right about something, but what's it look like to actually maintain that relationship? You have to assume the best of somebody, okay? Uh, Last thing, stop telling people about your box. Stop telling people about your church. I know, sounds a little bit weird. We're a church, I'm a pastor. Stop telling people about that stuff and start showing them what it looks like to live next door to somebody who walks in the way of Jesus. We are big on words, right? It's easy to get a message out. You have social media, you can, you can advertise, you can do all sorts of things that talk, talk, talk. That stuff works to a certain extent. What works even better? Showing them. We talk about like how we can be a church here, uh, how we can grow as a church here. All of that stuff's wonderful. You know how to do it? It's not through a snazzy sermon, you know, cool looking graphics or a new billboard or anything like that. No, 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 no. None of that. That stuff's nice. It's relationships. That's it. It's your kids. It's your kids' friends. It's the people that you know. It's the people that you live next to and you've lived next to or across the street from for years that you don't know that maybe it's time to go meet them. We stop telling people what they should do and we start showing them what it looks like to live next door to somebody who follows Jesus. We start showing your husband, showing your wife who might not have faith what it looks like to be married to somebody who does have faith, who does turn the other cheek, who is a more gracious person. We stop telling people, we stop being so concerned with what we're gonna do there and we start showing them and that is our goal as a church, to be people who show. Yes, we will tell. Of course we will tell. That's just the easy stuff. This is easy stuff. Preaching's not hard. What's hard is going out and living this and that is the calling every single one of us has. That's what my hope is. That's what my prayer is for you today. To be people who don't get so caught up in the muck and the mire of our boxes, of what we think, that we don't let all of our words distract people from the gospel truth, but rather we're able to build a new framework and start thinking in a different way. Not a way that is so constricted around our own closely held whatevers, but a way that says, hey, you might have some truth there too. I think we might find God's spirit at work in places that I didn't anticipate. And when that happens, praise God. And I will say when that happens, because I promise you, it will happen to you. It will surprise you. What we find is we find a life in the spirit, not our life, but the life that God wants us to live. And that's a good life.